Well, today we get to talk about one of my favorite subjects, heaven. Anybody ready to go to heaven? Well, I know I am. Do you know there's surprisingly a lot of people don't know a lot about heaven. I've had so many people that have come to me when their loved ones died and said, you know, I just don't know enough about heaven. I just know a few things about it. Can you tell me more about heaven? Well, I wrote a book called Heaven on My Mind, which was what I feel like heaven is going to be like. I even talk about children growing up there, uh, the shopping in heaven, things that some people never think about. I mean, they think, I guess they're going to wear the same clothes for eternity. And, you know, but there's all many, there's so many things to do. There's banquets to attend. There's, there's lecture halls. There's, there's also places to hike. There's mountains. There's streams. All of this the Bible talks about. A sea. Uh, why would you have a sea? You know, unless you're going to get in the sea. So there's beach days. There's all kinds of things that we love and enjoy. You know, the Bible uh, says that God put Adam and Eve in Eden. The word Eden means pleasure. So if the original... A uh, place where God put Adam and Eve was a place of pleasure. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? Because the Bible says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things the Father has prepared for those who love him. So heaven is going to be amazing. So what I want to talk about in this, in this episode is a visit to heaven. Would you like to just visit heaven, even just to see your loved ones? My wife has lost both of her parents and she's said to me many times, oh, what I would give just to go visit them or even have them come and visit me. But I would love to see where they're at and what they're doing. Well, that's kind of what this episode, this sermon is about, is a visit into heaven. And I'm going to also tell you some stories of, of some people who actually did visit heaven, one in the Bible and then a few others of people that are still alive today. And if you gave them a call, they could still tell you this story now because they, they came back to tell us uh, about their particular visit into heaven. Uh, we're going to start by uh, in the Old Testament by what does the Bible say about heaven in the Old Testament? Well, the answer is almost nothing. So Jewish people have almost no view of heaven or the afterlife. They're looking for the resurrection of Christ or excuse me, the resurrection of the dead. They're looking for Messiah's reign on the earth. But they have no real view of heaven. They saw God's throne. You know, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Uh, Ezekiel 1 describes the Lord's throne, a sapphire throne. And then in the book of Daniel, he saw God's courtroom. Well, other than that, there are no other windows into heaven in the Old Testament. So most of everything that you heard about heaven came from the New Testament, from the teachings of Jesus, but most of all from the teachings of John who had a visit into heaven. So hold on to your seatbelts because we're going to take a heavenly ride today and we're going to go into, into places that, no, that most human beings have never been before, but we've been given windows to the scriptures to understand them. So Jesus opened the first window in the book of John chapter 14, when he said to his disciples, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And there I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. So when Jesus said that to the disciples, they had no idea what he was talking about because no one had ever heard about the father having a house. 
No one had ever heard about mansions in heaven. Uh, all they knew is that God had a, a, a courtroom. I mean, they walked in the fear of God because of the judgments of the Lord. Uh, they knew that God had a throne room, but they were seeing that through the eyes of a monarchy. They were seeing that through the eyes of a king who handed down his edicts and ruled the land. So if your only view of God is a king and a judge, how are you going to live your life? But now Jesus comes on the scene saying, oh, God's more than a king and a judge. He's also a father. And so the fact that they started seeing God as a father just changed their whole perspective of him. And when Jesus talks about the love of the father, for God so loved the world in, in John uh, in John 3, 16, when they begin to talk like that, the disciples were hearing new theology for the very first time because the Old Testament doesn't talk about God in that, in that way. It does talk about thy loving kindness is better than life, his tender mercies, his, his great is his faithfulness, his mercies are renewed every day. It does give that soft side of God, but it doesn't give this fatherly side of God with a house and a room that you can stay with him in the house. So Jesus opens up a whole door. Well, when he does that, he tells you that, that there are some of you standing here who will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come. And that's in, that's in Luke chapter 9 and 27. So when Jesus says that, um, they're wondering who is going to see the kingdom come before they die. Well, all of the disciples have died with the exception of John. John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's been exiled there to silence him. And John is basically in a work camp, picking up stones and laying down stones. So Patmos at that time was a place, that, it was a penal colony where you would send, you know, uh, criminals. And they worked in a labor camp, which was a rock quarry. So imagine before there was equipment, they were taking axes and picks and breaking out stones and carrying them by hand because there were no, there were, there were no machines. So there was no bulldozers or any of that. So John is now working in a rock quarry in his old age. But it's here in this place on Patmos that he begins to see a heavenly vision. Revelation 4 opens up with these words. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Okay, all we've gotten up to now are windows of heaven. Now a door is open into heaven and we're going to see it for the very first time through John's eyes. And the first voice I heard. Okay, so get this. If you wonder what happens when people die, there was a door in heaven. The first voice I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. So the very first voice he heard was that of a trumpet. Well, he goes on to describe that voice being the voice of Jesus. So keep in mind that if you're wondering what happens when your loved ones die, that door is open and hopefully, if this is the way it, it works every time, the first voice they hear is Jesus. What a beautiful scene. But not only that, they also see their loved ones that have been gathered to welcome them into heaven as well. So then John begins to describe this from Revelation 4 and 2, where he says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, 
And a throne was set in heaven or a throne set in heaven. And one who sat on the throne was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. Okay, that's red. If you're wondering what the jasper and sardis stone looks like. So he sees this red light coming out from this throne in appearance. And then he says there's a rainbow all around the throne. He said, and the rainbow was like the color of emerald. So it was like a green rainbow or a green light that shined from the throne and this red light that shined from the throne. And all around the, the throne were 24 elders and they were clothed in white robes and they had crowns on their head. So he takes us immediately into this throne room where the elders, and he goes on to describe them bowing down, casting their crowns at his feet. So, so there's this beautiful scene of the glorified Christ, and there in heaven, as he sits down upon his throne, the elders, 12 for Israel, 12 for the, the church. So you have the Old Testament 12, the New Testament 12, making up the 24 elders of Israel. And they're casting their crown or the 24 elders of heaven and they're casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him. So they get off their crowns. They bow down with their faces to the ground and they begin to say hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He also describes seraphim saying the same thing. Holy, holy, holy. So there's this majestic heavenly scene of worship in heaven. So the first thing that you can say that we will have in heaven is worship. Now, we won't have prayer anymore because we won't need prayer anymore. Prayer is to get God's attention on this earth. Well, we will no longer have those burdens. We'll no longer have Satan will be gone. Uh, you know, we won't have any more temptation, no sin. All of that's going to be wiped away and conquered. So heaven will need no prayer. It will need no sermons. So you won't go to church and hear sermons and prayers. But what you might hear is testimonies. Can you imagine Noah telling the story of the ark and can you from his perspective or maybe Mrs. Noah telling it. Can you imagine uh, Moses describing what it really felt like to cross the Red Sea at night with water standing on both sides, a scared group of slaves being set free and a pillar of fire behind him holding back the enemy. I mean, you know, we read that, but I would love to hear it with his emotions. Well, so heaven's going to have that. Heaven's going to have testimonies and it's going to have singing and it's going to have worship. But not, but don't mistake in that for church because it's not church. It is worshiping God in all of his glory and splendor when our minds have been opened and now we have the mind of Christ. So he goes on to describe other things in heaven. Now, John begins to tell us about the angels of heaven. Here are some of the things that he saw the angels doing. He describes angels singing in heaven. So there's lots of song. He describes angels flying in heaven. Okay, and we're going to have a body fashioned like an angel. So we're not going to be angels because angels are, we, we're going to be glorified, righteous saints. Okay, so we have been glorified, but we will get a new body fashioned like an angel. So every time you hear an angel, so we will go, the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that this mortality must put on immortality. And this, and this corruption must put on incorruption. So we're going to get a brand new body that will never, de never decease. It will, it will never demise. So we're not going to, we're going to have perfect bodies 
and we're going to have glorified minds. So it's in that state of mind and presence that we will worship the Lord. So we're going to be fashioned like an angel. So every one of these things that you hear an angel doing, you can do when you get to heaven. So angels were singing. Angels were flying. Angels were riding horses. Angels were eating. Thank the Lord. You're going to get to do that in heaven. <laughs> one of your favorite things. Angels were also working. So they weren't bored. They had tasks. You know, the thing about work is you love work if you're doing something you love to do. You don't like work if you're doing something you don't like to do. But how about if you had tasks that were familiar or tasks that you just enjoyed doing for the production of it? So angels were doing that. Angels were praising. Angels were also reading books. For, for those of you who love to do that, um, their book, their libraries in heaven. Do you know that every person in the world has a book of life and the sins are blotted out of the book of life? There's a book of life for Brian Cutshaw, but there's also a book of life for you. Now, the, the only way to get into heaven is to be in the Lamb's book of life. That means you have to encounter Christ. You have to be in his book in order to get into heaven. But, but besides that, you have a book. That's how we're judged and that's also how we're rewarded. So at the great white throne judgment, people are judged from their book of life. But at the Bema judgment seat of Christ, when all the sins have been washed away and the Bible says blotted out of the book, then on that day, you're just rewarded from your book of life. Every little thing you've done for the Lord gets rewarded because of what you did. Every, he says, if you give a glass of water, you get rewarded if you did it in the name of a disciple. So even if you don't do it in the name of Jesus, you're just being kind to someone and hand them a bottle of water, you get rewarded for that. Well, if God's rewarding us for giving away water, imagine the other things that he's rewarding us for in heaven that we're doing in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the church, in the name of a disciple, in the name of a prophet. You know, just because someone else was nice, you were nice to them. And the Bible says all of that gets rewarded. So heaven is filled with all those kinds of rewards. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com. Or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you. And may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to Hope in the Word. Uh, let me get a little bit more intimate in this story of heaven by telling you a person's story from St. Louis, Missouri. This guy's name is Mark Skaggs, and I was the pastor of his mother, Dorothy Skaggs, when this story happened. Mark Skaggs was not living for the Lord, and um, his mother was a devout Christian and had raised all of her family. He had brothers who were preachers. And so Mark was surrounded by Christians, but he had not chosen to live for the Lord. And I won't go into his testimony. That's his to tell. And he's still alive, so he can tell it to you. But Mark was not living his life in a, in a Christian way. Well, Mark went in for a routine surgery, hip surgery, and something went wrong in the middle of the surgery. And Mark died on the operating table. There was one nurse in the room 
that thought she saw a bleep on the monitor. They had already pronounced him dead and she started pumping his chest and breathing into his mouth to try to bring him back to life. And um, the doctors had already given up, but this nurse would not. And there on that operating table, they kept telling her to stop. And she said, no, I think, I think that I see life. I think there's hope. She did this for 33 minutes. And even people walking away, telling her to stop. But for 33 minutes, this one nurse would not give up. And at the end of 33 minutes, his heart monitor came back online. And, you know, the doctors around there said, well, you've just ruined this man's life. His body's alive, but his brain will never be alive. He was dead for 30 minutes and he will never be, he will never have brain function again. They put Mark in intensive care on an incubator that was breathing for him and he was basically a vegetable. But miraculously so, at the end of about a month, Mark woke up. And not only did he wake up, he woke up with all brain function and he could talk and when they took the tubes out of his mouth, he whispered because he had had these tubes in for, for so long. He whispered to them, go get the pastor. Now, Mark had never been to church except maybe on Easter. And so his mother called for me. I went to the hospital and in a whisper, Mark told me this story. And later on, I asked him to write it down so that I could publish it. And I did put his story in my book, Heaven on My Mind. But Mark's story was this. He said, I died and I was sitting by this beautiful lake. He said, I've seen, I saw flowers unlike anything I've ever seen. The petals looked so thick. He said they were plush and they weren't like regular petals. He said some of the petals looked like they were a half inch or an inch thick and everything looked like it had so much life. And he said this lake was absolutely stunning. It was peaceful. It was stunning. He said, I sat there by myself. He said, then there was a man that came up to me in a, in a purple robe. He described the robe as being, he said, I've never seen anything like this. It was two to three inches thick. So think about that. He said, I've never seen material like this. He described the, that the material was two to three inches thick and it, and it was a hoodie on the robe. It was a robe that went all the way down to the ground and came all the way down to his hands. And then there was a hoodie on it. And so he, uh, he said the man came and sit down beside of him and never said a word, but laid his hand on his shoulder. He said, after a while, this man got up. He said, when he laid his hand on his shoulder, he felt more peace and more freedom than he's ever felt in his life. And then the man walked away. He never saw his face. That's just, that was his experience. And then his Sunday school teacher as a kid who happened to be my armor bearer who had passed about a year or so earlier. His name is DJ Haynes. Uh, DJ Haynes in heaven walked up to him in a white robe with a golden sash around him and said, Mark, you're getting another chance. It's time for you to go back. And he said, when that happened is when he woke up. That story wrecked him so much that he became a born again Christian and radically changed his life and began witnessing and telling everybody he could about Christ because he was, he was absolutely 100% convinced that heaven is real, that the people that had served the Lord had gone there and that Jesus Christ had, ch had changed and touched his life. Now that's just one man's story of heaven, but there's so many, there's many people alive today. Some have written books, 
that tell stories like that about heaven. Well, let's go back to John's journey because John gives us more information in the Bible about heaven than any other uh, writer in the Bible, including Jesus. I mean, he gives us more information than Jesus. So if you go back into the book of Revelation, remember I told you in Revelation 1, the door opens, John walks in, sees the throne room, starts seeing angels. Well, then he describes something else and he describes this in Revelation 4, 5, 7, 14, 15, and 19, he describes all of this. He describes a choir. Now, this choir is 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So he describes this choir that is bigger than any base, any, any stadium the world has ever seen. I mean, if you took the largest stadium in the world, it couldn't even hold the rehearsal for the alto section, you know, because it's so big. So this choir is massive. It's bigger than anything the world has ever seen. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Well, John is so impressed by their sound. He's hearing octaves that human ears have never heard. Can you imagine going the lowest that your ear is capable of hearing on the octave and then going below that? Can you imagine going the highest sound? You know, a dog whistle is on an octave that human ears cannot hear, but dog ears can. Can you imagine someone singing at that octave or even higher than that octave? So when your ears are open in your celestial body, you hear sounds that human ears aren't capable of hearing. Well, John is hearing all this. He is hearing them sing a song that he describes that would be similar to our Hallelujah Chorus. He, he puts the words of the songs together and it's, it's a continuation of hallelujah, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So it's this anthem that praises God. Now, wherever John goes, he hears this. He mentions this choir in chapter four. Well, he's in a different place in chapter five, but he can still hear the choir singing. He mentions them again. He's in a totally different place in chapter seven, but he still hears the choir in chapter 14, he mentions them again. Chapter 15, he mentions them again. Chapter 19, he's in a completely different place and he hears the choir again. So it's, it's almost as if the sound of this heavenly choir, angelic choir, permeates the atmosphere of the city. And so John is hearing this and describing this. Well, he describes another choir too that's going to blow your mind if you've never heard about this before. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, it says, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are, that are within them, I heard saying. Okay, let me, I read that fast. So let me back that up and tell you what I just said. Every creature, every creature that is in heaven, that means they've died or in the earth, they're still alive or under the earth, they're buried or they live under the earth in the sea and all that are within them, which means the ones they've ate, eaten. So even every creature that's been eaten, he said, I heard all of them saying it. It's, it seems like he's saying that every creature that has ever existed is in this choir, every pet, every animal, Every horse, every, every cow, every pig, every bird, that every animal that's ever existed is in this choir. And listen to what they're saying. 
blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, which is the animal name of Christ and to the lamb forever and forever. So this animal choir is singing. That's amazing. So when your little dog or your little cat dies or your favorite horse like mine, uh, when it dies, remember, they're probably tuning up now in the baritone section or the soprano section of the heavenly choir. So that gives me hope. I had a favorite horse that his name is Dandy, and that horse took me all over the mountains all the time. He was, it was a trail riding horse, and I dearly loved that horse. And when he passed, I grieved him like I grieved a friend. But one of these days, that old horse is going to come up to me, and he's going to have a language that I can understand because he's going to get his voice back. And uh, in heaven, we'll have great conversations. I think Dandy and I will go on some more rides, and we'll have some great conversations. And I'll go to the concert and hear him sing. And you'll do the same for, your, for the animals you've loved. Well, then he begins to describe kind of the physical features of heaven. Part of that is the, um, the um, gates of heaven and the walls of heaven. So when he describes the gates in Revelation 21 and 21, he says there were 12 gates, were 12 pearls. And get this, each individual gate was of one pearl. All right, so, so he says that specifically. It's not gates made up of pearls. No, 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 no. This one gate, so the wall is 250 feet high. Think about that, 250 feet high. And, and, um, and there is a, a, a gate in that, and one pearl is the gate that opens and closes. That's amazing. That's a huge, huge pearl. So when he begins to describe this, uh, it takes him two chapters just to describe the city. <clears throat> now, keep in mind, the city of God will one day become the center of the universe. John saw it coming down. So remember, all things are going to be made new. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Why would God give us a new heaven and a new earth? Because we're coming back. Now, I'm not talking about the millennial reign of Christ. I'm talking about eternity. In eternity, we will explore the universe. But we will come to the city for worship. And the city of God is what I'm about to describe to you. Now, it takes several chapters just to describe this city. So hang on to your seatbelt. The first thing he tells us is that there's 12 foundations. I believe this is 12 levels. So think about level one, level two, level three. Every level is named after a disciple. And every gate is named after uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. So imagine that every level has a gate. And every level has uh, a foundation that's named. And each foundation is made up of different stones. So you might go to the, to the uh, diamond level. Uh, it, we would, the Bible doesn't call it that, but we would call that the stone that it describes as a diamond. Or you might go to the sapphire level. So that's one that's familiar. So you go to the sapphire level. The floor of that level is blue. It's made up of pure sapphire. And the light of the city is the glory of God shining through it. And that level has different gates. So if, let's say that I want to meet up with you or someone else that's watching this. I would say, listen, why don't we meet up later on at the Andrew, on the Andrew level at the Issachar gate. I say, or, or, or you know what, I, I need to run by the river of life 
and, uh, and meet someone there. I've got John the Baptist that's meeting me there for lunch tomorrow. So you know what? It's going to be easier for me to get to the, get to the Judah level. And uh, so let's go to the Judah level to the John gate. Things like that would be directions in the city. Now, we're not talking about heaven. We're just talking about the city. So if this wall is 21 cubits by the ancient royal cubits, that's going to be 252 feet high. And some think that it's 252 feet thick. So it's either going to be thick or wide, but we know the 252 feet is the 21 cubits. Now, every 500 miles, there is a gate because the city is a square. It's a cube. It's built that way because it mimics the Holy of Holies. So the Holy of Holies was built as a cube. So the heaven now is the new, the real Holy of Holies. So it's built like a cube. So it's 1,500 miles in every direction, up and down and all around. So every side is 1,500 miles long. So keeping that in mind, there is a gate every 500 miles in the city. Uh, when you see the city coming down, it's 1,500 miles long. So if, if you wanted to put that on the U.S. map, here's what that would look like. If you put that city, if you set that city down on top of the United States, it would stretch from, from the bottom of Florida to the top of Maine. And then it would stretch from the Atlantic Ocean on the East Coast all the way to Denver, Colorado. Okay, so this is one city. Now you think New York City is big and L.A. is big and Chicago's big and London is big and Jakarta is big? Oh, no, no, no. This is one city that stretches from the East Coast all the way to Denver, Colorado, and from Florida all the way to the top of Maine. One city. All right, so, so keep in mind, if you want to drive in this city, Let's say that you just wanted to go from the east gate to the west gate, and it's one straight line, okay? So you don't have, you're not talking curves and switchbacks. No, we're just talking about a straight line. So you get in your car, and because you're in a city, you can't, you can't fly, right? So you're going to drive 50 miles an hour. So let's say you're driving 50 miles an hour, and there's buildings, and there's mountains, and there's people, and there's all kinds of things around you in the city. And so when you, if you go from one gate to the other gate in that car, it's going to take you 30 hours to drive there. So think about how wide that is. 30 hours in a car just to get from the east gate to the west gate. Now, if you decided to drive around the city, let's say I want to do a, a complete parameter of the Andrew level or the John level, or the Matthew level. I just want to do a complete parameter. A parameter check. So I'm going to drive around that just to drive around one section. It's going to take you five days of driving for 24 hours a day. All right. You, you can't even stop for a break and you have to be in the car. If you were driving at that speed for five days at 24 hours a day, just to get there. Let's say that you said, okay, I want to get in a jet plane and I want to fly from the bottom uh, level to the top level. So we're just going to go see somebody on the top level. So I get in a jet airplane and I want to fly from the bottom level to the top level. It's going to take me five hours at 300 miles per hour 
just to fly to the top level. That's how big this one city is. And we're talking one city. The good thing is you're going to have the body fashion like an angel. You know, you will not need cars and airplanes to get around. You not need those fossil fuels or any of that to get around. So if you if you look at the square footage of all of this uh, territory, you're looking at 3.3 billion cubic miles of city. So think about that. 3.3 billion cubic miles of city to explore. I mean, that alone is going to take you eons just to see everything in one city. This is only the capital city. It's not the universe. The universe is going to be recreated for your pleasure because that is what heaven's going to look like. A new earth, a new heavens all around. Now, John not only describes a city, he describes banquet halls. He describes angels eating and socializing. He describes mountains and seas and rivers and trees and houses, people riding horses and reading books and so much more. So don't think that heaven is going to be sitting around telling stories and eating angel food cake. It's going to be so much bigger than that. Okay, here's another thing in heaven that a lot of people don't think about. There's a tear room where all the tears in your lifetime have been kept in a bottle. Now, we don't know how that's possible, but it is possible. And because it's supernatural, it's there. So there's a tear room. And Psalm 56 and 8 says, You number my wonderings, put my tears in your bottle, and there are they not also in your book? So there is a bottle of your tears and a book that describes why those tears are there. So you think about the hardest times of your life. Think about losing people you love. Think about going through fear and trials. Think about every time your heart was broken in compassion. And in those moments, uh, an angel writes that down and puts those tears in a bottle. And why is that there? Well, because of a promise that he is going to turn your tears, weeping may endure for the night, Joy comes in the morning. He's going to turn your sorrows into joy. So I believe that you'll take one of those, maybe not all at the same time, but maybe you'll get an invitation from the master that says, you know, Brian or whatever your name is, I'll choose my name. I want you to bring one of your tear bottles and come to my, uh, my private chamber. And I get to come in with one of my bottles. And he says, remember that season of your life that you didn't think you were going to make it through. Remember the hardest thing you ever went through and you cried and cried and cried. And I've had many seasons like that. And uh, there's one in particular in, my, in my, my life that I don't even like to think about anymore because it was the most painful thing I've ever been through. And so the Lord says, here are all the tears you cried in that season. And you didn't think you were going to make it. But pour them on my feet. Just like Mary washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. What if Jesus says, I'm sitting on my throne, come close, pour those tears on my feet. And as I pour them on his feet, what if he lays his hand on you and turns every tear into joy? And I leave there so glad that I went through all of that because now I have an eternity of joy because he's turned my sorrows into joy. Hallelujah. 
Man, that, that alone would make heaven worth heaven. You know, there's another joy that some people are going to have that others will not have, and that's people who've lost children. You know, I don't think anybody should ever have to bear their child. I think children should bear their parents. And anytime a, a parent has to bury a child, that's reversed to me. That's got to be the most painful thing in life you will ever do in your lifetime. Um, there was a lady, her name is Alice Ottinger. Alice is still alive. She lives in Greenville, Tennessee. And um, Alice told me a story of giving birth to a child and dying on the operating table. And she said they had already pronounced her dead, but she knew she had died. But she was in a little, in a little boat with her baby, holding her baby. And she was going down this little stream that was a gentle stream. And she said everything around her was beautiful. Fields and, of green and flowers unlike anything she'd ever seen. And her little boat just kind of went over to the side. And her aunt um, that had raised her, the, the woman who had raised Alice, her aunt met her there and they embraced. She said, Alice, I want you to give me your baby. I'm going to raise her for you. And just like I raised you, I'm going to raise her up here in heaven and when you get to heaven, she's going to know you were her mother and she's going to tell you all the stories of her life, how she was raised. And Alice gave, her, gave the baby over to her aunt that had raised her. And then she woke up on the table. They told her the baby had died. And she said, I didn't even grieve because I knew where my baby was at. And Alice is an older woman now uh, in her 80s, I'm guessing, and I'm, I know that Alice is awaiting the day that she gets to go to heaven, walk through that door, and a grown woman is going to come to her and say, Mother, let me show you where I lived. Let me show you the schoolroom I went to. Let me show you the boys that I hung out with and the girls I hung out with, or if, if, if there's gender in heaven, I don't know. But let me just let me show you, let me just show you my life. Here's the table I ate at. And Alice is going to have a joy that most people will never have because, because of a child that she left that that she left in the arms of Jesus. You know, there's also going to be this heavenly reunion. Um, I love 1 Thessalonians 4 and 15. It, it's actually the rapture scene. But there's one line in there that catches my attention every time I read it in verse 17. It says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And it says we shall meet them in the air. Who is them? Well, the first part of that says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And some people think they're going to come out of the graves. Well, most of that's all deteriorated. What if this is a heavenly scene that says, when you meet Christ for the first time, you also meet your loved ones at the same time? Because it says, the dead in Christ rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the air. So what if this is a little window to let us know that when we die, the first people we meet are the people we love the most on this earth? I've heard many people tell stories like that. Uh, I interviewed several people in my book who are now passed on and they're experiencing it all over for themselves. But some of them told me that when they went to heaven and came back to tell the story, their family met them there. One lady told me that she walked into a meadow and all of these people were coming toward her with the biggest smiles on their face. And they were the welcome committee that was sent to welcome her to heaven and make her feel comfortable. 
And it was all the people that she loved, her mother, her father, her teachers, and her uh, people that have gone on to be with the Lord. One sister, she said, who had died as a child. All of these people were there, and she didn't even want to come back. She had to come back and tell the story and lived many more years. But that was her story of this great reunion in heaven. You know, it sounds like heaven has everything, doesn't it? Well, if you thought that, you would be wrong. If you thought heaven had everything, you would be wrong because there are some things that are not in heaven. There are no lights in heaven because the Lamb is the light. There's no night in heaven. There's no hospital there. There's no funeral home there. There is no schoolroom there. There is no graveyard there. There is no jailhouse there. There is no rehab center there. There are no courtrooms there other than God's one court. There are no nursing homes. There are no drug stores. There are no welfare offices. There are no police stations in heaven. There's no gas stations, waiting rooms, picket lines, petitions. There are no psychiatric wards. There are no operating rooms. There are no fire stations ambulances aren't there. You will never hear a siren in heaven. There are no collection agencies. There's no banks there. There's no IRS in heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's no counseling centers in heaven. There are no poverty there. There's no pain there. There's no blind there. There's no lame there. There's no beggars there. There are no hungry children in heaven. There is no war there. There is no separation there. There are no tears of sadness there. Heaven has no disease, no fear, no anger, no hatred, no jealousy, no failure, no shame, no abuse. There are no abandoned children in heaven. There are no crack houses in heaven. There is no aging in heaven. There's no death in heaven. There's no guilt in heaven. But you know what is in heaven? Jesus is there and he's waiting on you. Your loved ones are there and they're waiting on you and there's treasures there that are waiting on you. Won't it be glorious? I want to leave you with these words from an old song that I've been singing all my life. And one of these days, it will become a reality. There is coming a day when no heartaches shall come. No more clouds in the sky and no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace, hallelujah, forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day. A glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No sickness, no pain. No more parting over there. But forever we will be with the one who died for me. What a day. Glorious day that will be. And the chorus says, What a day that will be When my Jesus I shall see when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. I'm looking forward to that day, and I hope I see you there too. God bless you. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand His kingdom around the world.